Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Best Phone Plans podcast. Joining us today, we have special guest Peter Adderton. Peter is the former founder and CEO of Boost Mobile. He launched the brand in Australia in 2000, brought it to international markets, including New Zealand, Canada, and the United States, and grew it to over 5 million subscribers and over $500 million in revenue. Today, Peter continues to be a key player and innovator in the wireless space as he is working on his new carrier, Mobile X, which will apparently disrupt the industry. So Peter, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Oh, good, good. Thanks guys for uh, for having me. Always love getting on and chatting about the, the mobile space. Uh, I yep. gotta say, Seth, is that a single bed in your room there or is that a double bed? Uh, it's, a, it's actually a queen. Oh, okay. All right, well, hopefully I can uh, help you guys out and get a bigger bed for you, mate. Get you a king. <laughs> get you a king. Yeah, you know, I'm a pretty tall person, so my feet actually hang off of it. Um, I bought it for I'd be my worried friend. If it, I'd be worried if it was a bunk bed. Then we'd, yeah. we'd have oh, a yeah. serious conversation. Uh, for sure, for sure. Uh, but no, actually, where I want to start today, Peter, is I just a little bit of background, a taste of how you got into the mobile landscape. You know, obviously, you're super entrepreneurial. You started Boost Mobile. You started Amped Mobile. You had a 360 camera that, I, you know, a few people are talking about because you're so mobile focused. Um, but typically, when you're entrepreneurial, you see a problem and you see that you have an opportunity to offer a solution. So my question is, what was the, the problem you saw and what were you trying to solve with Boost Mobile when you first launched it? Yeah, it's a great question. I was actually owned and operated one of the largest marketing companies in the world. We actually looked after KFC, Pizza, Taco Bell. And one of our clients in Australia was a company called Optus Singtel. And it was a small carrier. It had just kind of started. This was back in 1999. It had just started, and, and when I walked in and we were looking at marketing for the carriers, they were basically dragging a fishnet along, and they were picking up everyone from basically 15 to 75, right? There was a small silver clam. They'd send you on your way, ask you if you wanted insurance for your phone, and, and that was it. And I started thinking about how mobile was going to change the way that we lived and the portability of how we lived. And when we used to do market research with Pepsi, the phone started to become more and more important. The mobile phone started to become more and more important um, on the on the radar. So we said, I went into the car and I said, hey, how are you guys talking to the youth market? And they said, oh, we don't. We're just basically talking to everybody. And I said, but youth are going to require a different plan, right? They're going to probably use more nights and weekends. It's going to be more important where a business consumer, traveler is probably going to use more during the week. And when five or six o'clock comes across, they turn off, they go home, but the kids fire up. So these days and nights and weekends. So we really said, why don't you start breaking up the network and start to basically tailor it to the consumer. And this was obviously back when we had like 56 kilobits per second, right? We were, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. you know, basically the fax machine, the telex machine was a lot faster, but I could start to see how it was going. And so we started creating user experiences. So I went into the carrier and said, listen, I'm going to create this brand called Boost. Virgin was just about to hit the market. I said, I'm going to create a brand called Boost. And it's basically, and Boost, by the way, is about boosting air. If you've ever talked to a surfer or a skateboarder, the term Boost is basically you boost into the air. And if you look at the icons, the icons are two ramps or two waves. It's everything about getting. Oh, okay. It's all making sense now. That's amazing. Yeah. So, so the, the carrier said to me, great, we'll come on and, and launch this and, and we'll own it. I said, no, no, you guys are just going to screw it up. I said, let us run it. Let us operate it as a virtual network. And, and by the way, I want to do prepaid. And they said, well, no one really cares about prepaid. It's all about postpaid. You've got to remember when I started, there's only 49% market penetration of mobile phones. Right now, I've got 130%, right, multiple devices. 
So I went, no, 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 let me talk to these customers. And I said, that the, the, the thing that you do wrong is you treat a prepaid customer like they're basically poor, right? And that they shouldn't be respected and they're basically are the last ones you think about because they're obviously 49% market penetration. You're going after the high ARPU customer. You don't care about. So I said, well, let me play with the, the prepaid. Let me give the unconnectable the connectability of being able to get on the network. And, and that's where prepaid was really born. So we were one of the few pioneers in the prepaid space. And we're also one of the few pioneers that didn't treat a prepaid customer. The brand didn't treat a prepaid customer as some credit challenged, poor individual who basically couldn't get a plan. And in fact, I started to convince people that it was actually better to get a prepaid than it was to get a postpaid. And I don't care how much money you earned. So <laughs> that's kind of how we started Boost. And it was always around the brand. It was always around making people feel good about being part of the Boost brand and not feeling bad about being on prepaid. And, and I think that that's where we had success. And then from there, we just continued to develop the brand. It's been very successful for us. Right. That's amazing. Uh, great to hear that story, Peter. Um, my question, you know, when you started, it sounded like there was huge opportunities for growth because, as you mentioned, only around 50% of consumers had a smartphone. Today, 130% market penetration, it's saturated. Um, how do you feel the MVNO market is positioned now? Is there room for growth? Is it just a race to the bottom? Where do you think it stands? Well, I think what's happened is the carriers in the past haven't truly been after the value player. Right, they've always they've always been turning off each other to try to get the higher ARPU customer, and, and what you've seen now is growth stalled and slowed. And what you're also seeing is people are embracing prepaid and these long life plans as more of a mainstream. And so, what you're seeing the carriers now do is around the globe is start to start their own smaller brands, their own value brands. If you look at what's going on throughout Europe and Asia Pacific, you're seeing Vodafone and Singtel and and uh, Telstra, and you're also seeing it in the US where they're starting their own brands and they're acquiring brands, the value brands, obviously with the potential sale of Verizon, um, Boost being bought by Sprint, Metro being bought, Cricket being bought by AT&T. So you're actually seeing consolidation, which is bad for MVNOs because in order to be successful in any business in, this, in, in, in the mobile industry, you need scale. Why do you need scale? You can't negotiate good wholesale deals if you don't have scale. If you don't go to the carrier and go, I've got 2 million customers, 3 million customers, now this is the rate that I want, you cannot demand the scale and thus your model starts to turn upside down. And so the carriers in the past have really ignored the, the low income, you know, the prepaid, what I call a cash preferred customer, the value customer. And, and now they're looking at it going, well, hang on, we need growth. So we're now putting our arrows towards them. And um, so I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to be very hard for MVNOs. Um, and, and this concept of, you know, niche, right? I hear a lot of MVNOs talk about, you know, niche. I'm not interested in a niche market, right? When I set up Boost, I wasn't interested in going after a niche market. I wanted to go after half the customer base because half the customer base was on prepaid. So I want 50% of the market. We're going after wide scale. And I think you have to have that approach as an MVNO um, to, to, to be successful. Otherwise, you know, most of these MVNOs have been around 10, 15 years and most of them have got sub a million customers, right? Right, and right, so absolutely. Consumer Cellular, I think it's got, you know, 4 million uh, customers. And they've been going since the 1996 Telecoms Act is when they basically came in, right? So since 1990. <laughs> um, so, so like just a couple of years, you grew Boost Mobile to have more subscribers than Consumer Cellular has today. Well, we actually, when we started Boost, it was ironic because I had a bet with one of the guys at Nextel. I said, hey, I'm going to get, um, I'm going to do X amount of revenue in the first year. And he looked at me and he said, you do that revenue in the first year, Pete, I'll take anywhere in the world to lunch. Um, still owes me that lunch because we basically lit up the network. <laughs> It was so popular that we actually started shutting down the IDEN network 
it was so popular. We, we were loading it up so hard with so many people that it literally was a runaway success and the growth was just tremendous and we couldn't slow the growth down. So, But what that was was it was a, a differentiation. We had what I loved, which was the push to talk. You boys not, might, might not remember it. I but remember. Dennis back remembers. In the day, when I first came to, to America, I had a choice, by the way, with Boost. I was talking to guys at Verizon and I was also talking to the guys at Nextel. And the interesting story is that Nextel had got this close to doing a deal with Virgin. And they went over to London. They were about to sign a deal with Virgin Mobile. They went over to London and they showed Richard Branson the i50, the brick phone. You remember the old brick? He looked at it and said, there's no way in the world I'm going to put my brand on that. I'm going with, I'm going with Sprint. I'm not, I'm not doing it, right? Because, that, because the handsets were clunky. They were massive. They were big. And it was basically a construction worker's or an FBI's phone, right? The, the next yeah, push. Yeah. So, you know, I come with this, oh, I'm going to do youth. And what I loved about it was the walkie talkie, right? Because back then we didn't have data of any speed that mattered, right? So I was like, okay, these guys have worked out how to deliver voice twice. They've got an application for voice and they're delivering it twice. You also got to remember that when we launched, there was no interoperability with SMS text messaging. Verizon to Verizon, AT&T to AT&T, or singular to singular, Nextel to Nextel. You couldn't text anybody else on any other network, right? It didn't happen. And, and so we saw this and then suddenly we're now pushing to talk, instantly doing voice um, around the country. I went, no, kids are going to love this. They're on the snowfields. They're going to have quick instant chat. You don't want to have to go through finding the number, dial it. It's just bang. And you could light up five to 10 of your friends, say one thing, I'll meet you at the clubhouse or I'll meet you at the ski resort. And 10 of your friends would get the voice message. And it's so funny now that you go back and look at what's happening in the world today where we're basically going back to chat rooms. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With Clubhouse and Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we're going back to chat rooms and because people love to communicate and love to chat. So I, I love that. So I went in and said, you know, we can fix the handset problem. So we were a large part of Nextel's um, IDEN, which was their technology they were running on Motorola's handset design. Boost actually led a lot of that to bring the handsets smaller. Um, and we did a lot of things. We had games, the first games, you know, Java games that we were doing, you know, the original little snake game, but we brought in like MotoGP and Tony Hawk's skate game. I mean, today that would be basically a laughable, but at the time it was pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, Peter, that's amazing. Um, what are some things you've learned from starting Boost Mobile that you're bringing with you to Mobile X? Okay, great question. Laser focus, right? When you do something, do something different. I mean, a lot of people look at Boost today and go, it's very similar to Metro, and it is. It morphed itself into basically being a small telco, a mini telco. They kind of lost their way uh, significantly. We haven't in Australia because I've been running that thing for the last 20 years, but definitely in America it's lost its way. It just basically became a price. And when you go after price, there's nowhere else to go. Um, so what we did was we were innovative with Boost, Boost at first, right? We drove games. We used Java. We were basically using Push to Talk. We were trying to do things... Um, with the data network that didn't really make sense, but at the time we were pushing that. So what we're going to do with MobileX is you've got to have a point of differentiation and differentiation can't be price. If all you're going to do is do price, you're not going to survive. You're just not going to win and you're not going to get the scale. So we have to make the consumer's lives easier. Prepaid was the first ever of that. We made life very, very easy. And then it kind of steps itself, um, it steps itself forward. So laser focus and make consumers lives easy have the touch point easy for them so they don't have to think about what they're doing so and what's the what's the pain point that you're trying to address though like what's not being addressed right now that mobile x is going to solve 
Um, Basically what you guys do every single day of trying to explain 15,000 plans. Um, you know, you got to remember, you got to go back and look at why pricing plans are where they are today, right? And, and, and you guys look at them and go, okay, well, I've got this gigabyte, that price. They're all designed for a reason, right? They don't magically appear, right? So, so inside a carrier, take a step inside a carrier where I've spent a lot of time, right? They have a pricing team and a finance team, right? And the last thing that the pricing team and the finance team thinks about is you. You're the last thing that they think about. They look at OPEX and CAPEX and spectrum spends, and they look at how much is it going to cost to run their organization. They look at the 35,000 people in there where they probably only need 5,000, but they've got 35,000 because it's, it's an old man's club where they just keep re-employing the same people and looking after each other. You've got, you got a, a very large engine, right, that you've got to feed. So that's what drives pricing. And then they look at, okay, well, I don't want to set this price up because I don't want to bring this customer who's too stupid to realize they don't need to spend $200 a month or $150 a month down to a $40 plan. So let's not upset them. Let's try to keep them out. So you've got all these things. By the way, the consumer's not being thought about yet, right? This is all about them. They're, because they've got investors, they've got shareholders, they've got to have growth, they've got to have invest in their money. So the pricing model's built around them surviving. That's, that's how it works. And so then they spit out a plan and out comes the plan and you guys look at it and you rate it. What I sit back and go, the consumer, half the consumers don't even know. Actually, I'm going to go 90%. Don't even know what plan they're on. If I ask them, how much data are you using a month? They wouldn't know. They wouldn't have a clue, right? But what the carriers do is they're masters at confusing you, right? And they've been doing this, by the way, for 20 years, 30 years. This is not new. They confuse you. They want you to think, you know what? I don't know how much I'm going to use, so I may as well just go for that unlimited plan just in case I do. Knowing full well that you're never going to use unlimited. They know that, right? So I sat back and went, well, slow down for a second. Everyone's using artificial intelligence to put inside their network. How do I improve my margin? How do I improve my profitability, right? How do I reduce customer care? Not because I don't want people calling me as much, but it's because it costs me money, right? How do I reduce all of that? And it's all, how do I get a better margin? How do I go to my investors on the street and tell my investors on the street, look at the growth that I'm experiencing, right? Share price goes up, what goes up? My bonus, what goes up is my options, what goes up is all the other things. You gotta remember also, most of these CEOs, right? They're not around forever. They're not founders of these businesses. They're running other people's businesses, right? Right. So a four year, maybe a six year lifespan, they gotta use by date like a carton of milk, they'll eventually go. So what they're gonna do is, they're not gonna upset anybody or do anything stupid. As long as they continue to keep that growth going, they get their bonuses. So that's the mentality. And so when I come into this, I go, no, 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 that's not my mentality. My mentality is give the consumers what they want. Take artificial intelligence and put it on the side of the consumer. Have the consumer be the pricing model. Have the consumer be the finance team. You tell us what you need and then we'll provide that. Will we have a rate plan? No. It's going to be very hard for you guys because you're going to sit there and go, you know, it's going to be a very quick show when you, um, <laughs> you do mobile X because we're not going to have a right plan. Everyone's going to have their own plan. Everyone's going to have their own experience. So that's what we're trying to do differently. And it's funny because I talk to people and they're like, holy cow, Pete, that's incredible that we're only going to pay for what we basically need and what we use. And, and we, you're going to get, we're going to tell you what we need. You're going to, actually, we're going to let you get to know us before you try to sell us something. I go, yeah, that's what every other tech company in the world does, except for Wallace. These guys are still stuck in the old days. If I came to you and said, your electricity bill, it's $200 a month. And you go, well, what if I don't use $200 a month? Oh, no, it's still $200. i will just keep the money. Is that cool? You go, no. When it comes to Wallace, everyone goes, yeah, okay, that's all right. So, like, 
No. So if I'm following you correctly, Peter, you're and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but basically what you're describing sort of sounds like what Google Fi is doing. Basically, I pay a flat rate for the unlimited talk and text, and then it's like X amount per gig, basically, in a nutshell. Is that basically yeah. what you're going for? But in this case, it's literally just starting at zero, pretty much. Yeah, well, first of all, this is not a hobby of mine like it is for Larry and Serge and the guys over at Google. <laughs> yeah. It's just a hobby for those guys. Um so uh, to, to me, this is uh, a lot more in-depth. There's no seven strategies to why I've got a mobile platform sitting there, right, which is what Google has. Um, now, this is about getting to know you and what you need. You know, the, the interesting thing is the technology today exists where we can actually know what you do. I mean, in fact, most people have technology, even just a basic app developer. You know, I founded a company called Digital Turbine, which is now got a $7, 8000000000 billion market cap. And which is an app install, basically an app install platform. The information we can collect is quite incredible, but no one uses the information to help the consumer, right? They use it to actually sell you more. <laughs> and so what we're going to do is turn that on itself. Once we know what your patterns are, and if you talk to artificial intelligence uh, engineers, they'll tell you that basically most people are pretty predictable, right, in what they use. You'll have some outliers that are out there. So we're basically we're going to learn from you. We want you to tell us what you need. And then we'll deliver that. If you're not using a lot of voice, if you're not using a lot of data, if you're streaming at a different streaming rate, don't basically have an IT person inside your own personal network that's going to help you manage uh, what you do. And, and, and so for us, it's about getting to know you and learning you uh, and you telling us what we should be charging you, not us telling you. Uh, Peter, that sounds completely backwards. So I'm really excited <laughs> to see this. Uh, it is, well, we, start from, we start from zero. I, like I don't have... Uh, five corporate jets and 35,000 people and a big magenta building with a cafeteria that's uh you know that's that that would rival the Vegas buffets so i'm 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 quite happy uh yeah so, so uh Dennis go ahead so peter uh have you figured out which network um you're going to go with for your new carrier well it's not helping that i'm bashing every single one of them um on on a consumer level because i do fight for consumers i said to someone the other day you know if I put myself above the fight, you know, I spent the last three years and, and hundreds of thousands of dollars of my own money fighting for Boost to be separated from the, the merger because we all know what was going to happen, right? They were going to keep it and they were just going to dump it and just have Metro. So I fought hard, the FCC, the DOJ, first in the door at the DOJ, last out of the door at the DOJ and the FCC. So I'm a big consumer champion. I always have been, even when I started Boost. Um, so that, that, that's been a that's been an issue. Um, I don't think T-Mobile... Um, uh, want me over there. Um, I, I, I personally think that they're, they're probably scared to have us in there um, because we will call the bullshit if it's, it is bullshit. And, and that's one of the things that I'm, um, you know, very focused on. Um, and we are talking to the other carriers, but, you know, obviously there's Verizon buying track phone. Um, and I'm obviously uh, concerned about that transaction because we're going to lose another big, uh, a big customer. So, um, we are working on the uh, on the network, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know whether my actions are helping or, or <laughs> but I don't care because, you know, the one thing these carriers talk about is they talk about fighting brands, right? They wouldn't know a fighting brand, mate. They get a slap over their head and they'd be knocked out. So, you know, fr from our perspective, when you're a street fighter, and I was one of the first original sponsors of the UFC, long before it was called the UFC with Dana White back in the boost days, that's a street fight. When you get in that cage, yeah, one man's coming out. When the carriers get in there, they're basically just slapping each other and throwing glass in their faces of water. It's not a real fighter brand. It's not a street fight. So we're street fighters, so we'll see which carrier 
in my opinion, is uh, is more interested in the fighting for the customer through the MobileX brand than than anyone else. Sure, sure. Uh, you know, it's kind of funny you bring up the the billing and the evolution you're bringing to that. I've noticed from stories on Reddit and from people I've talked to that AT&T's billing system is archaic and ancient and doesn't always work properly. So I think it would be humorous and somewhat ironic if you were able to slide in there on the AT&T network and kind of solve that for them. Well, um, let me tell you, if you knew, so I've been doing this for a long time, 20 years. The billing platforms that these carriers use are terrible. I don't okay. want to know. Oh, no. no you don't want to know. So, so if I want to change a plan, Right. If you're a carrier today and you want to change your plan, it's it's easy, right? You just you know click a setting and you're done. No. Yeah, yeah, that's easy, and just reboot it and you're off running. The process to do it, you guys would fall over backwards. The time that it takes. So when I come out there and say I don't have any plans, everyone's got an individual one. Even if the carriers go, it's the best idea in the world, Peter. They can't do it now. The only guy that's going to have a chance of doing this is Dish, because they're building a truly open run. They've got a greenfield network. Their software platform that they're building is going to allow them the flexibility. And so, I'm, you know, I've been harsh on Dish as well, obviously fighting for the consumer. But where Dish can nail this, if they get it right, in my opinion, is they will have the flexibility that no other carrier has in billing and pricing. And so I think that that's really going to be important. Like a carrier can't run a Thanksgiving sale day, right, where they, they can't, right? They can't do it specifically down. So... That's one of the biggest legacies that the carriers have is the billing engine. They just got to do it in buckets. And, and, and the fighting that we have in trying to get the pricing right, it's just, it's, it's, it's a nightmare. And by the way, the MVNEs are no different, right? So MVNOs have built these platforms. They're no different. They still sell buckets. So what we're doing, I will tell you this, that the hooks into the carriers that we require to run the MobileX platform has never been done before. So the carriers that we're working with, all I ever hear from them and our engineering team, and I've got a lot of engineers on this, all I hear from them is, wow, we've never done that before. Like, <laughs> we've never done that before. And, and so we do require a very different hook into the networks um, that I'd say three years ago probably would not have had a start. But I think today um, the carriers are starting to realize they need to do more of this. So, um, But it, it, it technically what we're building without going into any the secret source is uh, it hasn't been done before. And, and there are many, many challenges on the network side um, that uh, that we've had to overcome, which is why it's taking us a little bit longer because, you know, the front end's easy, right? Sure, yeah. Throw up a website. Yeah, yeah, it's easy. They're all ready to go. It's the hooks into the carrier that require us to be able to get the information and repurpose it is really what takes the time. Yeah, you know, I'm a... I'm assuming that you're probably developing a lot of stuff in-house because I know, I know if you were using something like uh, Avaya's software suite or, or or something like CSG or Salesforce, I know they're not going to have the capabilities of what you're kind of alluding to uh, with having all those different rate codes, um, or at least it would be very uh, hard to manage. So I'm assuming you're probably developing your own in-house biller, I'm guessing. Yeah, and we're lucky because we use Salesforce down in Australia for Boost, right? So I understand a lot of the different platforms. We are, and, and so we're taking pieces, elements, AI pieces from different people and different platforms, and then, but it all starts with our user experience, right? What that does, how it looks. And, you know, one of the things we're going to have is a real time, which, you know, a lot of carriers aren't going to, I, I think, like initially, is we're basically going to look at what your plan is, what we're recommending, and then we're going to have a, a basically right next to it, compares to every single plan in the marketplace, 
based on your usage of where you should be and what that price is. So wow. this, comparable, this comparable chart. So you can sit back and go, well, how does that recommendation that Mobile X just came up with compare to, say, US Mobile or Verizon or AT&T? And we'll show you. But, but the plan you should be in, and I would argue 90% of the people aren't in the plan they should be in. Oh, 100%. 100, I mean, that's my job is trying to like inform people of these more affordable options. Like, hey, you can save money if you're interested. Like, You can get something half the cost. Here's the floor in your strategy. I agree with you. So you've got pricing, right? So pricing sits there and says, these are the pricing that we make the most money on, that we can actually get the best return. Then it goes to the sales team, right? And then the sales team sits there and goes, they've got a master agent and I've got a dealer network. So the dealer network gets more money on the higher plans. So then all the way down and the customer walks through the door, not knowing anything. I don't know what I need or what it's usage. I don't know. Let me have a look. Oh, you should be on this plan. That plan is designed to give them the maximum amount of commission. It isn't designed to help them as a consumer, right? And so the whole model's broken until it gets to the consumer. And the consumer basically, as long as they stay naive. So you guys aren't helping, by the way, the carriers by educating consumers. <laughs> Hey, that's that's actually our goal. We want to we want to make sure everyone's getting on the most affordable plan possible, whether that is US Mobile, whether that's MobileX with the new platform that launches or it's someone else. We just want to help people find what's right for them. Uh, now, Peter, you mentioned that you're you're hooking into these networks in areas that have never been hooked into before. Would you consider actually partnering with Dish or potentially using the Dish network as they're going to be the network that's built from the ground up with all new technology and won't have this legacy crud uh, sort of causing problems? You know, I, I know the Dish guys well. I, I know Charlie well. Um, you know, obviously, recently I've been fighting on behalf of Boost, which I don't own, but uh, as you know, with, with the Fox business and then getting Mike Sleeveridge and those guys to extend the 3G network. Um, we're network agnostic. I would love to do a deal with Dish when Dish has got the scale to 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 make sense when the network's up and running. A absolutely, um, you know. Again, the platform is built network agnostic, whether it's Wi-Fi, 4G, 5G, satellite. It doesn't matter to us, right? Um, we basically, as an example, if you're leaving, um, you know, and you're leaving New York as an example, and and we've got access into your calendar, I can look at your travel and basically connect you all the way through to Los Angeles. So. You don't have to sign on to GoGo InFlight. I've already done that for you. You don't have to sign on to the airport Wi-Fi. I've already done that for you. You don't have to sign in at LA. I've basically taken your whole trip and basically put that together for you. And so your connectivity is through MobileX right the way through. You get into the hotel. I know you're staying at the Marriott. I've already signed you into the Marriott. Um, so we basically are agnostic when it comes to the connectivity. So it doesn't matter. We can connect you into multiple pipes along the way. So this would be a a great partner. But I'm super excited about what Charlie and Dish are going to do. If they can pull off what they're saying they can do, there's a question mark there. And I, I think it would be unfair not to have that question mark. But if they can, they can really rival the, the big guys. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. And what you just described sounds incredible, where you have this seamless transition between Wi-Fi hotspots, being connected, yeah. go-go in flight, and then getting cellular where you need it, and finally arriving at your destination. Um, is is that one of the ways? My tech, team, my tech team, if they're watching this, are going, "What the hell is he? What's he? Why is he giving up everything?" But, <laughs> um, uh, hopefully, there's only five guys watching you. <laughs> yeah, there's five. Good. Um, <laughs> that, no, that sounds absolutely incredible. Um, and is that one of the ways MobileX is sort of striving to differentiate themselves and also provide consumers with a a much better experience that they'd never had before? Yeah, the one thing that I don't know. 
that every technology that's ever been successful, that's ever done, is it's created peace of mind for the consumer, right? The ability to know that I'm only using what I'm using and I'm not getting ripped off. And what does that mean for MobileX? I'll tell you what that means is, it means the average revenue per user is gonna be significantly lower than is, what's is out that, there. Is that concerning? Like, do you have investors in this, Peter? That's... You know, when, when you sit back and you look at it, if an ARPU that exists today is basically built on a foundation of artificial pricing, eventually it's going to collapse, right? And, and so what we're seeing now is a race to the bottom, right? We're going to see the collapse. The carriers go spend all this money on 5G, which, you know, I've been a big skeptic on. 100%, um, yeah, I've heard uh, plenty of carrier, stories, yeah. The carriers spend all this money on 5G. And they talk about the killer app. There is no killer app. I've asked every major CEO and they can never tell me. And if I hear one more thing about an autonomous drone car flying boat <laughs> uh, that's going to do robotic surgery, I'll, I'll basically lose it, right? The average consumer doesn't care, right? So their strategy after spending billions of dollars, tens of billions on Spectrum, on upgrading their network, on getting these new phones, their strategy is 5G is the same price as 4G. That, that's it. So I'm sitting back going, you did all this and you're the best thing you can come up with is that 5G, this great technology is just going to be priced the same as 4G. Oh, and by the way, you get a taco on Tuesday, right? <laughs> I, I, I'm sitting back going, where's the speed-based pricing? Like where's all the things that increase the ARPU, increase the revenue, increase the better experience? It's not there. They don't know how to do it. They've created a and a technology that basically, you know, I, I put up the other day that our strategy will be, you know, we'll have 5G and it's just going to be where it's available, it should be faster than 4G. That's our marketing because that's exactly what it is. Where 5G is available, it should be faster than 4G. There's nothing else in between, right? right. And so I just sit back and go, they can't even sell 5G at a premium. And so when I sit there and go, it, it, it's going to collapse. But I also do believe that there are customers out there that are buying one gig plans and two gig plans that probably would go more to four to five gig if they knew, right? The usage. That's in. <laughs> oh, yep, that's me. I'm on Wi-Fi all the time. I hardly use any data. Okay, so there's people out there that, that you can bring up, right? Because you're now helping them. So of course you'll bring them down, but most of the carriers don't care about the 30 sub $30 price point. And so MobileX does. And I think that we'll be able to give people one, and, and I look at it like Uber does, right? And like most of these technology platforms, and that is if you create a great experience, I mean, Uber's changed their lives, right? It has, it's changed their lives and it's, it's, it fixed the pain point. What we're trying to do is fix the pain points. And my attitude is the more customers we get, clearly the, um, the cost of network goes down. So at some point it hits a, a flex point where you start to go, okay, now we're making money. But you know, I'm not just about, making money on megabytes, minutes of messaging. Once I got the trust of the consumer, this, again, my team's gonna kill me. There are finance applications, there are auto insurance applications, there are a bunch of other applications, but the first thing you gotta do is get the consumer's trust. Once you've got their trust, they'll let you do other things for them. So really quickly, Peter, um, I have so many questions boiling in my head for everything you talked about, but one of the ones I wanna bring up is this. Um, how so you you were talking about catering to the lower cost consumer are you intending to target premium users like myself who value having like you know 100 gigs of priority data you know having lots of hotspot are you going to be targeting us as well or is this mainly going to be focused on like 
because you you know you said you're not focused on price, right? It's about using what you can use. So how are you yeah. going to target the premium user, the premium user like myself? What are you going to yeah. be doing? The, the fundamental MVNO model doesn't allow us to target you, Dennis. Um, it's just that the economics don't stack up. The wholesale versus the kind of own your own operator network. So the economics of being an owner operator is very very different. But what we will do is we'll look at your usage and we'll we'll then recommend, which is unheard of. Uh, we will recommend a Verizon or T-Mobile plan that better suits you. So I will sit there and go, hey, Dennis, I can't beat, I can't save you any money. I can't offer you what you need. You need this plan, right? And I'll probably push them over to US Mobile on their unlimited plans to send them broke. So that's probably not strategy <laughs> to knock out a competitor. So I'll just be sending them to anybody who thinks that an unlimited plan uh, is going to work. So I'm just going to push them over there. I, I will basically recommend you a plan from somebody else if we can't if we can't save you money. <laughs> that's well, that's unheard of. That is unheard of. But what if I don't want to have my money saved? Right? Like, like um, I'll give you an example. One pain point that I know uh, a decent amount of our audience uh, has identified is they really value having hotspot. I know Stetson, last week you were hotspot man all day. Um, and one of the things we've always talked about is how most carriers will have some arbitrary amount of data, 15 gigs, 30 gigs on their hotspot before they throttle it or like stop you from using it. With your model, though, it sounds like it's, you know, every gig you use is going to be a flat cost. Are you going to let consumers use that data however they please? Like if I want to pay you, I don't know, 100 bucks for 100 gigs, can I use it all as hotspot? Or are you going to kind of control how I use my data? No, no, if you, you can pay for what you use. If you want to use it, you can use it. But you got to remember that if we believe what the carriers have been telling us about 5G and the whole reason why the merger got through and, and, and these guys are under oath at the Senate hearings, both Marcelo and John Ledger and, and Mike Sieverts, um, capacity is going to be huge in 5G networks. Capacity is going to allow us to lower prices. So let's fast forward to these 5G networks. Why are they even talking about hotspot versus normal gigabytes? If capacity is why we were sold this merger, then there's so much of it in the pipe there should be no throttling. It should be free for all. Everyone can access it. And so I do believe that there will be tremendous amounts of capacity. These guys are in an arms race against each other, right? They live in a vacuum, right? They live in a vacuum. And I think the consumers will benefit from it, not because they designed the consumers to benefit from it. It's because they were in an arms race against each other and they're going to build these massive networks with all this capacity. I mean, people don't realize that the 4G network today isn't running at full capacity all the time, Right. Right, I yeah. think it's probably less than 50%, 90% of the time, right? And there are certain areas where it's running at a much higher capacity and they start to throttle you down. But I just sit back and go, 5G is going to add to that. So these guys are going to sit back going, holy cow, we've got all this capacity. What are we going to do? We're going to have to use it. So I, I don't think that in two years' time or three years' time that we're going to be talking about hotspots, slowdown speeds, all that. I think that that's all going to be out of the, out of the, out the window if the carriers are telling the truth. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, well, you've talked kind of about who MobileX may not be for, like those premium unlimited users. Uh, who do you see as MobileX customers going forward? I think anyone who looks at their um, plan is probably on an unlimited plan. It doesn't need to be on there. Um, and I think that's the majority of unlimited customers, if you want my own personal <laughs> Yeah, opinion. yeah. It's, no, you're definitely um, right. Yeah. And I also think that it's people who basically are spending more time in Wi-Fi than they realize. Um, they, hide, they have these higher data plans. And they think that they need them, but they don't. Um, and look, you know, the good thing about us is before you sign up to the plan, we'll tell you what we think you need. And you can look at that and decide whether that's enough or not enough, right? And so you don't have to 
buy our plan and then work out 30 days later, what have I done, right? We'll download the app, tell you what you're doing, how you're doing it, and then basically it'll come back from there. So to me, it's really going to be everyone will try it, we hope, and then you know certain customers will fall off and go, okay, they don't have the product for me because at some point you can't make money. Um, you know, if my model is I'm going to sell an unlimited plan and hope to hell that only people use 10 gigabytes on that unlimited plan, it's a pretty flawed strategy, and I think that's what most people do with their unlimited plans, especially the MVNOs today. If they don't have, because there's different models, you know, inside of carriers of how you get a wholesale deal, retail minus per gigabyte upfront. There's a there's four or five different ways that you can set up an MVNO. Um, so I, I just think that at the end of the day, you know, consumers are going to learn um, very quickly uh, from us what they need, and, and and again, if we're not right for them, then I'm more than happy to push them somewhere else. How how will you go about convincing people? Because all these major carriers have spent billions of advertising dollars trying to convince people they need unlimited. How will you go in and convince these consumers that rightfully don't need unlimited uh, that they actually don't and they're using less? What's what's going to be your strategy there to, to sort of re-educate them on their data usage needs? Well, there's two education processes, and that is that the, the term unlimited isn't unlimited, right? And, 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 and in any other country outside of America, if you took the unlimited term and put the, the conditions onto it, you would never get to be able to use the term unlimited. So my, one, one thing is I'm working hard on the FCC and the DOJ to try to get them to re-clarify what actually unlimited is, right? Because I, it, it's basically a bullshit clause majority of the time. Right? <laughs> yeah. you know, unlimited truly means there are no barriers, right? There are no barriers. You don't go to an unlimited buffet and after two meals, they take you to the rice section. So that's all you can have, right? You can only have rice now. So I sit back and go, so we've got to fix that. The second side is it is an educational process of re-educating the consumer, probably even more going one step further, unbrainwashing them, right? <laughs> what they need. Um, but I think that it's going to be word of mouth. Will it go like this when we first start? No, it'll be, what are you paying? Oh, have a look up, oh, well, how come you're paying so little, right? So I think it's going to be word of mouth. Um, the other thing for us, which is a challenge, but it's also an opportunity, is when you walk past a dealer or a retailer, there's not going to be four lines for $25. There's not going to be a – when you see a mobile X thing, it's basically going to be, I bet you you don't know how much data you're using or how can we tell you what you need before we even know who you are. So there's going to be a very different approach to marketing because we don't lead with a price offer. Right? And, and that's very different, right? very, very different for consumers. And I think it's going to spark their interest to go, well, what are these guys talking about, right? So uh, so if you're not leading by price, right, What, um, what's the feature then that's going to catch my attention? Like if I'm the everyday consumer right now, I'm walking down the street because we're, we're done with COVID, right? Yeah. And I see one of your banners, yeah. right? What's the feature that catches my eye that's like, wow, you know, maybe I should think about you. Is it like some free Netflix goodie? Is it like, what is the, I, the feature? I, I can't give you everything. I've probably given you 85% more than what my team would like me to give you. Um, so I can only imagine the calls I'm going to get after this. I'm um, sorry. We, no, no, we, we, look, I'm a very open person, right? And, and, and sometimes that's good and sometimes that's bad. In this instance, it's probably bad. But um, I'm, I'm very... Uh, excited about how we're going to market this. And, and again, I, I'm not interested in going after MBOs, right? I, I want to bring the big dogs down, right? Some oh, of the things I've got planned, we've got planned on a marketing level. Um, I think we can outmarket T Mobile. Let's make no mistake, T Mobile has done the best um, 
in, in branding. But by the way, they came from a very low gene pool. Let's be honest. They were in the carrier business. If they were running an energy drink business or anything else, they'd, they'd be in real trouble with the big cowboy hats and the constant smiling and the media trained robotic CEOs they have running those organizations. So they're very, very on point. And they are cool, by the way, in a very uncool industry. And I give them that. But I think we can really go toe-to-toe with them, and I think we can actually create something that's very different. You know what? Because we're real. It's not manufactured, right? I don't have 18 media people behind me trying to train me. And you saw that with Mike Sievers on Fox Business, right? When he basically was asked a question that wasn't on point with 5G and he couldn't answer it with 5G is going to save the world, he lost it, right? He started making stuff up right? about the churn rate of a boost customer, which no one believed. And then, you know, saying that the FCC was requiring him to shut down the 3G network. That's the first anyone's ever heard of that. So he went off the reservation that I was an attention seeker, right? He went off the reservation and then Liz Clayman, who, who did what no one ever does, is asked a follow-up question, right? Most of them just go, all right, can I David favorite CNBC? Okay, thanks, Mike. Big smile, thumbs up. Um, she asked a follow-up question, right? And, and unwound them more. So when you start cutting in, and that was me, the first time you can see a weakness in those guys, right? And, and so if you can expo- you know, attack that vulnerability of knowing that they're nothing more than a robotic puppet that can go off reservation now and then, then you can use that and you can attack them. So they're well and truly, I don't think Verizon, AT&T can do it, but I absolutely think MobileX can. Sweet, sweet. Uh, Peter, you have an amazing team of developers working for you right now on unheard of technology. Um, we're really excited to be able to, to try this, to see MobileX launch. Do you have an estimated time frame, a range of dates you can give us of when you're hoping to, to first bring MobileX to the market? And is, is it going to be U.S. or is it going to be Australia? What's um, what's the deal there? U.S. will be first. It was going to be Australia first, but now the U.S. is going to be first. Um, you know, I, I would love to be able to answer that question. But, you know, the sure. one thing I learned, and, and one guy asked, I think, on Twitter, talk about Ant, right? The yeah. one thing I learned about Ant, and we did some things, you guys were probably like two years old, but the one thing we did at Ant, which was really uh, a mistake, was we were pioneering and we were rushing things. We were trying to get things into the marketplace because everyone kept saying, when's it coming, when's it coming, when's it coming? And we put stuff out there. We were doing things on EVDO and 3G, right? Yeah. We were doing things with Brew, the operating system, you know, that was never been done but long before the iPhone. We were, we were offering UI and video and we're the first ones to live stream a music concert. We're the first ones to launch Facebook when it was an EU um, application, when everyone was chasing MySpace. We did some amazing things over there, but we rushed it. And what happened was we got caught up. And the more customers we got on, the worse it got. It just compounded the problem. And, and I don't want to have that happen again. The good news is that the carriers haven't innovated in the last 20 years, and they're certainly not going to innovate in the next 20 years. So I'm, I, I'm not going to say it's going to take us 20 years, but I'm in no hurry. They'll just keep beating each other up keep you know, uh, pat- patting themselves on the back of how great their 5G network is, keep talking about the different bands of spectrum, the layer cake, the flux capacitor, whatever they want to throw in there to confuse the shit out of us, they'll keep doing that while well, we'll just quietly chip away. Sure, so, sure. So earlier on the show, Peter, like you know, we talked about the race at the bottom within the market, right? Um, my question for you is, is if this trend keeps happening right like as prices keep falling down for unlimited plans like visible for example 25 bucks a line for unlimited right if it keeps getting lower and lower and lower is it still going to be feasible for you to compete with how you're planning to do things because it sounds like i mean from what i'm gathering it sounds like your main 
selling point is we're going to be paying you exactly for what you use. But if visible can get down to say 15 bucks for unlimited, is that really something you're going to be able to compete with? Well, I think Verizon's got a bigger issue if, if, if visible goes to $15 unlimited. Um, you know, at some point you've got to remember that this is a Verizon brand, right? It's run by retail inside of Verizon. So retail controls it. It's not like these guys are independently out there fighting. They'll go in, retail will look at it and go, not a chance in hell you can do that. So go back into your hole. And, and it's very different. So it's a very different model. And, and basically it's just, it's a cheap ass version of Verizon. That's their strategy, right? And so I sit back and go, it's not really where we want to play. Um, you remember every one of these companies started out as the next gen wireless and they all morphed into the cheap ass plant, right? So, so clearly their, their innovation at the beginning wasn't enough to sustain um, what they originally set out to do. So for me, it's, it's very much about um, the ease of use. I would prefer to be honest, paying a little bit more for somebody who's basically looking after me in other ways than to just keep cheating, getting this because, because, it won't survive, right? You, you won't stay on that plan forever and they'll move the plans up and down and if it starts to cannibalize their base, they'll bring it back up. And, you know, I look at a classic example in Australia is that Telstra's the biggest, they're the Verizon down here and they have a brand called Belong, right? And so Belong went into the marketplace and offered this $10 plan, this sub $10 plan. And by the way, they came to us at Boost and said, will you guys do a sub 10 plan? I said, no, nah, it's a disaster. Don't want them. Don't want a $10 ARPU customer. Not interested. Can't make money on them. They went and did it. Complete and utter disaster. They stopped it six months later, nine months later, because there's two things that carriers look for, right? And this is, again, and, and, and sadly it's got nothing to do with the consumer, right? It's growth. So at some stage I'll go through a growth cycle, right, which is net ads. We need to get net ads, right? We need to be showing that we're growing, right? So I'll grow the numbers at all costs. And when they get all those numbers, they go, oh, that wasn't very good. And then we go, okay, now we're going from a value play to a premium play where T-Mobile is going now, right? So now they're going to try to bring the ARPU and revenue back up, right? And what that means is they might churn some customers off. They're willing to let those customers go. They're willing to let them go because no one can make money on them and nobody wants them. So you, you've got to look at this. You know, you know I'm lucky enough because I see both sides of the camp, right? So I, I'm basically like a, you know, a guy out there who can see what's happening internally and also sees what's happening externally. And, and none of this is driven by market forces or by consumers, right? This is driven by the carriers of, are we in a growth mode or are we in revenue preservation mode? And they all do it. It's a cycle. So T-Mobile is going through the cycle of growth. probably not that important. They're trying to shift the investors to say, hey, look look at our margins. Look at our growth. Look at our customers. They're high-value customers. Don't worry about our sub-growth anymore. And then you've got AT&T and Verizon to try to pop up sub-growth with Visible to say, look at our sub-growth. I mean, the, the thing's just basically dancing to a bunch of investors. And let's be honest, they're not the most sophisticated people in the world, those guys. It's true. It's true. Well, Peter, uh, I've seen a strategy. If you want to add more lines, you can do free line deals. And it turns out that boosts your customers by quite a lot. <laughs> Look, uh, I believe if you gave away everything for free, you probably could have every single customer you've ever wanted. So, um, <laughs> but you know, I, I also don't believe that the, the, the carriers have created their own problem with price. They're focused so much on price and not on experience. And now they're trying to go, and that's why they can't sell 5G uh, any cheaper than 4G. Sure. I mean, sure. Imagine, that. imagine you spend all that money, well, $50 billion on Spectrum, $82 billion on Spectrum. Basically, T-Mobile bought Sprint for $40 billion to get access to their Spectrum. And the best you can do is sell it at the exact same price as 4G. That's it. And then talk about, you know, I think they showed me a robotic tattoo artist doing a, a tattoo from London to America. I'm like, really? 
you spent $50 billion so a tattoo artist can do a tattoo on an arm. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. I don't think shared that. They're scratching its drawers. All right, Peter. Uh, my question, uh, will MobileX be using eSIM and how will eSIM play a role in the MobileX strategy? We will. I actually think eSIM is a bigger uh, technology advancement for consumers in 5G is today. I actually think that, and that's why you see the carrier is not really that excited about eSIM. <laughs> Anytime a carrier is not excited about a technology, you know they're protecting something, right? Sure, um, sure. You know, I'd love to launch eSIM only, but the reality is the handsets aren't there yet. Um, yeah, we can yeah. do a lot more in the eSIM world. Um, basically, just use a barcode and switch. You can have multiple lines. You can try it. I mean, look, I, I love eSIM. I love the concept that MobileX works with that because you've got multiple lines. We can help manage that. If you've got a business line and you've got a personal line and you've got a family line and all these things, I'm not going to get into some of the secret stuff that we have there. I, I love eSIM. I've been a pioneer of eSIM for the last five years. I've been pushing carriers to to embrace it. Um, problem with the carriers is they, they send out these messages that they're embracing eSIM, but if you actually try to use it, it's very, very hard. They make it disaster. very It is a disaster. AT&T is a key one that makes it they, – they, they lost the whole scoop on it, right? Uh, basically, they make you – they ship you out a barcode. They actually have to ship you out like a little cardboard code that you have to scan. Like instead of me just going on my computer and scanning yep. it or scanning an app, I literally have to get a physical piece of cardboard just to scan a little QR code. Yep. What I what I loved about Wing, they were actually offering AT&T plans. Their agents would take a picture of the eSIM QR code and email that picture to you. So that was actually a little bit better, but still a disaster. But, but design, by the way, not because they're incompetent. They design it that way. You know what's been really bad for the carriers in eSIM it is COVID, especially outside of the US. QR codes have come back for registering where you're going. Like you, We couldn't get anyone to use a QR code before. Now you go into a restaurant, you go anywhere, you're signing into a QR code, right? And I think that that's going to be a thing going forward is as we track, um, you know, COVID and where people are and how we can get clusters down. I think it's just going to be part of it. Definitely in outside America, QR codes are, are massive. You sign in every time you go in. Um, it is such a simple old technology, yet these guys make it hard because they don't want you to be flipping back and forth and having multiple lines and more importantly, they don't want to put the control back into your hands. And, and what MobileX is doing is that. We're giving you the control. You tell yeah. us. That is awesome. Uh, you know, one experience you talked about was kind of traveling across the United States with this seamless experience. Would it be possible to have something that's internationally based where you could potentially travel to different countries and have a, a similar sort of seamless connected experience? So I'm going to probably give away another secret, but you know what? Whatever. Um, wh one of the things that we're doing is I don't believe that if I leave the country that I still should be paying anything for that device on that network. I don't think I should be paying anything. Zero. I'm not there anymore, right? Right. But why am I paying? And today they have international roaming, right? You still right. pay for what you got at home. Oh, it's, it's a nightmare. It. Your bill actually doubles. You pay for your domestic bill and then you pay additionally to use the plan outside the United States. So, so imagine I know that you've left the country, then your bill stops there and it goes with you to the next country. Uh, without giving too much uh, secret sauce away. Um, now we can do that because we're a global virtual network act operator, right? So we basically will be operating in multiple countries and without giving it away, um, you've got to understand that, that the margin the carriers make on your data roaming and, 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 and you only have to look at the, the current filings, right, of a lot of the um, companies. Now that, and it was, COVID brought out to me 
a gleeping, a, a massive hole, right, in their business model, and that is the international roaming. When it stopped, their EBITDA margins were falling by two, three, four hundred million dollars, and it was all because of the global roaming that these guys wow. were making. Wow! And, and and so when I sit back, I look at you know Telstra and Optus and some of these guys in Australia. I look at the US. It's hundreds of millions of dollars of pure margin from roaming because they all look after each other. All the carriers look after each other. And, and so COVID actually exposed the ripoff. And you can just look at their, their, their filings and you look at their financials, you can see the glaping hole that roaming, international data roaming has left in their profit margin. It's massive. Yeah, I, I've reviewed some plans where, you know, the international data add-on is literally $2,000 per gigabyte when you do the math out. It's wow. astronomical. It's terrible. And they look after each other. They don't charge each other that. So... Yeah. Um, I think Dennis actually had a question about uh, what's going on in Australia. Like, um, I, I actually wanted to more specifically ask um, our market. So you have a diverse um, perspective that we don't necessarily get. Right. And I wanted to ask you, as far as the U.S.'s health, like market health, as far as like the comp competition is concerned between AT&T, T-Mobile and Verizon and so forth like that, would you say that the U.S. is doing better than your home country of Australia? Or is there anything that the US could be learning from how the carriers operate uh, out in Australia? Uh, well, I'm looking at multiple markets you've seen. I'm talking to the guys in the UK and Europe and Asia Pacific and, and, and Australia. So I have a, a global aspect uh, of it. Um, I, I think what Australia and some of the other markets are doing um, around the, the, the networks are better. I, I think they're not in this, that, first of all, we have the same landmass. If you look at Australia, it's the same landmass as America, just not as many people living in the middle of it, right? So I think America is a very diverse and spread out. So they're trying to pick and choose where they want their networks to work. So, you know, in, in markets like Australia, you're a lot more consolidated, so you can get a much better experience. The 4G network running in uh, Australia runs five times faster than most of the carriers in the US, right, when you look at it. And, and if you look at the ranking scale of the performance of a, of a network in America versus the rest of the world, America's quite low. And when you look at the pricing, America's quite high, right? And, and, and that's why I was a real proponent about not letting the fourth network go, right, and, and making sure that Dish or somebody was, was set up. But it, it really comes down to that it's a, it's, the, the regulators have got a lot of work to do in America. I mean... The, you know, the regulations for MVNOs in countries outside of America are very strict. You know, you've got to let them in. You've got to give them a fair chance to be successful. It doesn't exist in America. There are no regulations other than protecting the three big carriers. And the other thing is we don't allow lobbyists either. So you, 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 don't, you, you, you can't be Verizon or AT&T and T-Mobile and spend millions and millions and millions of dollars on lobbyists to go in and lobby on your behalf. That doesn't work. Um, we call that a bribe. <laughs> um, in, in where we come from, so you know, so there's a lot of cultural differences when it comes to regulators, etc. But you know, I, I'm hoping that uh, you know that innovation. I, I would love to see Amazon come in. Like, I would love nothing more. You know, there was a there was a research that was done uh, recently, and it would ask the generation that's coming through now, who would you like to buy your wireless service off, your mobile service, right? And they put up four brands, five brands, three of them were carriers and uh, six brands, and three of them weren't. Number one was Amazon. Number two was Netflix. And I think number three was like Facebook, right? And then the carriers were fell off. And when they asked the consumer, they said to the consumer, well, why? Like they don't even offer. Well, we know when they brought a service, it would be as easy to use as it is today, right? 
and, and, and so to see that come into the marketplace, that innovation, I would love. I do believe Amazon's coming in. I do believe they're going to come in fast. You cannot have a mobile play like cable companies, which is an MBO reselling of Verizon network. They have <laughs> enough money, capital that they're going to have to have the connectivity, the last mile into the home if that becomes wireless. They're going to be in this space. They're not coming in now because they're letting these guys basically spend all this money to build this stuff and then they will come in. They will come in um, once the market writes itself. But, uh, you know, to see technology companies come into the wireless space is, is to me, exciting. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think Amazon has a lot of synergy um, that can play well with, like, someone like Dish since they can handle a lot of, like, you know, AWS and all that good stuff. But, uh, Peter, yeah. um, I also wanted to ask you, um, is it difficult – to operate as an MVO in the U.S., like, do we make it more challenging than other parts of the world that you're currently doing business in? Absolutely, 100%. America is one of the hardest. Now, the sad thing is we lost Sprint, right? And there wasn't an MVO in the world that Sprint didn't meet that they didn't fall in love with, right? That's so true. They, they, they loved every MVO, right? And, and they gave very good pricing to MVOs, and they were, wholesale was a very big part of their, 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 their business. Um, no, it's very, very difficult, you know, and, and when you've got three people there, let's just say as an example, me, right, I've been very critical of T-Mobile. Well, now I'm down to two, right, and I'm being a little bit critical of Verizon, and now I'm down to one, right? Well, you don't get a lot of leverage when you've got one guy to choose from, right? And, and, and so I would love to see regulation um, where the FCC comes in and says, okay, of any given time, you know, 20 30% of the traffic has to be sold to a wholesaler, right? So... You build these networks. They talk about the digital divide, net neutrality. It can all be fixed, in my opinion, by forcing the carriers to have wholesale partners, right? And and what happens is if they're not at the 30%, by the end of the year, they start giving their MVNOs, hey, guys, here's a bunch of data. Go give that stuff. That's what you need in the marketplace. So it's going to take the regulators uh, to get tough and 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 at least give some support. As an example, if I'm an MVNO, let's just say you're, you're US Mobile and one of your carrier partners says, yeah, we don't want you anymore. There's nothing you can do but basically pack up and go home, right? Now, I'll never do that. I've been around for 10 years. No, no, they have done that. They did it to us with Boost. They can say to you, we're done. It's not a strategy we want to do anymore. So they can do it and they will do it if it doesn't make any sense. So that's why you don't see investors come in. You know? There's no private equity coming into the MBO space in great, you know, great in startups, right? I know that. We're going through that right now. So you got to put your own money in because investors look at it and go, hang on, you got a contract that's going to last six months. If they cut you off, you've got six months of revenue, yet I've got to put all this money up front and where do the customers go? Well, I've got to migrate into another network. Well, what's the churn going to be? Ah, oh, it's going to be 40, 50%. I'm going to lose as they can move them across. I've got to find out who they are. eSIM helps. But right now, the model's a very tough model to get funded. And then, Peter, I have another question. A lot of times we forget there is actually another player in a more regional sense in the U.S., U.S. Cellular. I'm sure you're familiar with them as well. Yes. Um, I was just wondering, is there any reason why you never thought of working with them in particular? Maybe taking more of an approach of having them, you know, working with them to build out their network and just doing a regional play. You know, having that very consolidated market share and just focusing on that. You know, there's your yeah, other well, player. Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. When you look at the... Um the platform we're building, I told you it is agnostic to the network. So there is absolutely a chance that we could basically work with them even after we go. But, you know, I looked at launching Boost. You've got to be in the areas where the consumers are, right? You, you've got to be within, you know, 
the Best Buy range and within the uh, you know Walmart range. And, and so you've got to have a network that's going to work um, because I think the the number one reason why I think even during the trial of Boost uh, with the New York State AGs, you know, I think the girl that was running Boost at the time said, we lose most people because they can't get a coverage, right? So it, it is a critical part um, of uh, of what you do. So I think initially you've got to go with that, but it can be an enhancement on what you're doing. Um, but I think at the end of the day, you, you've got to have, you know, as much ubiquitous coverage as you can uh, around the country in order just to make your experience work, even if I only sold it in one city, right? And, and you guys don't remember when Metro PCS launched, I launched Boost around the same time that Metro was coming out with their $40 unlimited plan. Well, they basically took San Diego as a market and they had Tijuana to the south, they had Camp Pendleton to the north, they had the desert to the west out to Ocotillo and then they had the ocean. So they had a very captured market and you couldn't leave. Once you left that market, your phone didn't roam. Well, that was all right at $40 unlimited if you stayed in the market. Um, but once you started to move and customers started to move, they expected that. So I think we've, we've gone beyond those pockets. I, I do see if you're a US seller, you really should be on the phone to dish going, how do we work together? <laughs> um, Peter, I'm wondering if you're building a, a tool that's network agnostic, it doesn't matter would it potentially be possible for mobile X customers to switch networks on the fly, similar to what we saw Google Fi do with the Sprint and T-Mobile networks? Yeah, classic example, that's not a technology limitation. It's a carrier limitation. <laughs> um, I, I think regulators could help regulate that. Um, you know, most MBO agreements, are, they, they say they're not exclusive, but they're exclusive um, just to keep the regulators away from them. Um, if we were able to do that, our platform can do that. There are a hundred platforms that can do that. Uh, cloud-based platforms that are out there today. Sure, that's, sure. Uh, that's a carrier issue. Um, wow. I would love the carriers to allow us to do that because we basically could determine through our platform the best network speed of where you're basically sitting and then connect you to that network. So it's not just about pricing, it's about the usability. Some have coverage in some areas, some don't have. Ubiquitous coverage across three networks would be great. Wouldn't be great for the carriers. I live for the day, by the way, when the carrier, when you make a session call, the carrier is bidding for your traffic, very similar to a fixed line right now. So as you go press the session, AT&T, T-Mobile and Verizon are all going to bid for your business and through our platform. That's my dream. Um, <laughs> I don't know whether the carriers will ever let me get there. Um, maybe in your lifetime, but maybe not mine. <laughs> well, Peter, I'll just say if you can manage to get all three of the network's coverage on one, like through just directly you, that's your selling point for a premium user like myself. I would value functionality like that because then I could eliminate having like three phones in my pocket. Yeah, so um, you, you just made the point of why the carriers will never let it happen. They want you to have those three phones in your pocket. So right. I, I would love to do that. It would make all the sense in the world, but I also appreciate the fact that the carriers do need a margin in order to operate those networks and to ubiquitously hand it out to someone like us um, would be very, very hard for them to stomach and their probably business model wouldn't survive, which means we'd probably be impacted anyway um, by just not having the investment going back into the network. So we walk a fine line there and not cut them or kneecap them to the point where they can't operate. All right, Peter, we want to be respectful of your time. We really appreciate you talking with us. Two questions to kind of round off this show. Number one comes from a Patreon supporter, uh, Mark. He asks, how did you come up with the name Mobile X? That's a great question. So obviously through the whole, uh, you know, ESPN X Games, it's all about what is your X? What makes you special, right? And so what we wanted to do is Mobile X is all about being you. So 
everyone's got an X factor about them. And I don't care, you know, whether it's an X factor of being a skateboarder or being a musician or being mathematical or being scientific or being a code writer, being an accountant. I don't care. Everyone's got an X factor. Everyone's got a special talent. Some don't know it, some, but everybody has a special talent. I don't believe there's one person in the world that doesn't have a special talent. And so what MobileX is about discovering that talent and making you be who you are. And that's why the individual plan that we have is about you. It's not me trying to force it to, you know, destiny you to be different to Dennis. It's like Dennis is different to you and you're different to him. So why should you have the same? So that's where the MobileX brand came from. That's amazing. I love that story. I had no idea before, but I absolutely love hearing that. Uh, the last question, Peter, if you're able to share, we're curious, what plan are you currently using or what phone are you currently using? I don't know if you want to share what plan, but we'd love to know if you're able to share. Because I found a digital turbine, which is on the Android platform, I use the uh, the Galaxy uh, Fold. So I've got the oh nice oh, Galaxy Fold, and I've also got the S20 that I sit here. So I've got a global phone. I've got an international phone. Um, I've got it across the uh, across the board. So um, I can't tell you the carrier because it might it might t send you off on a no, tangent. I, I respect that, um, but, but I, I thought I'd ask anyway. It's not Dish. It's one of the other three. <laughs> Thank you for narrowing that down, Peter. We appreciate it. <laughs> Either way, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Peter Adderton, we want to thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. Uh, is there anything you want to share with the audience? Where can people find you? Uh, what should they be looking for? Um, any message you want to share with the, the audience? No, I get asked to do these a lot, by the way, and I love what you guys are doing. You know, the, the first time I saw you break down the Mint versus Ultra and some of the other plans that you did down at Per Gigabyte, I actually rang our team that's running this. And I said, you need to hire those guys. Like, I don't just want to watch them. I want them to be part of MobileX. So you may get a call, just as an FYI. You may be getting a call because I said, we've got to hire those guys. Get them out of their bedroom and get them into, <laughs> get them into a basement. Um, because <laughs> what you're doing and the education that you're giving customers has never been done before. You call it out like it should be called out. And so I, I was happy when you asked me to do this show. And I get asked to do a lot of these things, and I don't do a lot of them. I was happy to do this one because... You guys are the future, honestly, the future of consumers understanding what they need and how they need it. And, and, and that's why I encourage anybody. I don't know how you guys make money. I don't even know. You do make money. Can you advertise on the site? I don't know. However you make money, let me help because I really think that what you guys do is a valuable service to consumers. Thank you so much, Peter. That, that really means a lot. That's super motivating and we really appreciate it. And I'll sign off with the Mike Siebert fake robotic <laughs> Thumbs up, everyone. 5G. Right. 5G. <laughs> Take care, everyone. Have a wonderful evening, and we look forward to talking to you in the next episode.